DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Craig Bowlerjack's going to join us in our next segment. And we got Joe Ingles at 9 o'clock. His wife went to social media, announced she's pregnant. They're going to have a third kid. Joe's going to be here in about an hour. But right now, PK, let's talk a minute about coaches who say stuff that I don't think they ought to say. Yeah, the uh, painter coach from Purdue. Matt. Uh, had some comments. That, yeah, Matt Painter. Uh, had some comments about uh, Harms, the kid who transferred from uh, Purdue to BYU. And I think Yach has uh, some of them that we can actually listen to them. Yeah, so these are from 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis on the Dan Dackett show. So here's the first part, Matt Painter talking about Harms and his transfer specifically. Matt, are you concerned that these two kids transferred this late in their career? Are you concerned about your program at all and what you're doing within it? No, not at all. You know, I think when you look at the center position where Matt Harms was, like we tried to play Travion Williams and him together and it didn't work. Um, to his defense, he got hurt. He had two concussions. Um, you know, and so him leaving and then, you know, I, I don't know how things changed for him like that and that's what I kind of look at it like I try to take a step back and look at it from their perspective and like okay how did you better yourself you know are you going to go play against better competition in the league that you went to no um you know when I look at the position and say okay it worked for Caleb Swanigan in that position it worked for A.J. Hammonds in that position it worked for Carl Landry in that position it worked for Jawan Johnson I mean want me to keep going it, it worked amazing. for Isaac Haas you know Travion right. Williams is going to be a good player so in reality in the 15 and that's hard to be able to reel off that many names in 15 years of coaching in one right. position and so but in reality Travion Williams beat him out that's it and Matt was starting at the beginning of the year. He had some injuries. I was really looking forward to him coming back and embracing, you know, hey, I had two concussions. I was hurt. Let's, you know, let, let's, let's fight here. Let's, you know, because that's what you do. You know, you might have got your degree from Purdue, but you're not a boilermaker if you walk out the door at the end and say, hey, like, I want to make the league. Well, you know, guys that want to make the league work like Carson Edwards and Caleb Swanigan. Like, I didn't see that from him. Did he work hard in practice? Sure. Did he work hard in games? Sure. Was he a good player for us? Yes. But if you take him and rank him against those guys I just mentioned, where would you rank him? You know, and so Travion Williams beat him out, and then he wants to move on. Then that's his choice. He got his degree from here. Sure, he got a degree from here, but he's not a boilermaker. <laughs> Walk out the door. Please, yeah. no more questions for the student athletes. He got a degree, but pff, whatever. Pff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some things here that need to be said. Uh, obviously, he left to get more playing time. That's understood. I think there's a couple of reasons mainly, and there's probably, there's certainly more. But I think that uh, there's a couple of reasons. You want more playing time. Of course. You think school X is a better situation for you individually. Just like coaches every freaking year think school X is a better situation, and they leave. It happens all the time. It's just such a bad look to go after a college kid like that and then I think also too sometimes players leave because they want to play in the NCAA tournament and maybe they haven't there was a kid from SC a couple of years back he was a play I forget his name 
He was a nice player, and he played for them, but he went up to Gonzaga because he wanted to play in the NCAA tournament, and he, and he got in there, and he played in the NCAA tournament. So there's that, and there's probably other reasons. There may be family reasons. You want to be closer to home. But playing time, obviously, is a, a significant issue, and Harms felt like he could – He maybe he did. They probably did get beat out. All right, it happens. But I just think it's really, really bad form to – man and and he's still the harms is he's 23 years old so obviously he's a grown man too but not to the level he's still a college kid he's still an amateur and you know if he didn't uh, have all that stuff that you were looking for and you question his integrity essentially why the hell did you recruit him in the first place if it, you did a poor job of recruiting them then if he basically you're calling him a quitter and you recruited a quitter and so why did you do that and you better, too, Purdue, better ever, 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 never take a grad transfer. Never. You better never do that. You better, In fact, you better never take a transfer at all, whether he's a grad transfer or not. The only transfer you better take is a junior college kid who no longer has eligibility at the junior college level. Because if you take a transfer, then you are just the utmost hypocritical. I think it's really bad form for Painter to do these types of things and say the stuff that he said. I think there's a couple things. One, uh, he got asked a question, so you better have an answer. And I get that he's frustrated because he wants depth. What if the other kid he was splitting time with gets injured? You know, and so now they got a hole. So, so I get all the frustration. If you're a coach, that's where you got to have, you know, the office, the padded room. You go in, you yell. Possibly you get an assistant coach to come in there and sit there and listen to you whine for five minutes while you get it out of your system because you're human and that goes on. And then you're going to get asked a question by a radio host and you got to have an answer. And I thought when it started, he was fine. You know, he brought up, hey, we tried to play the two kids together and it didn't work. And then he went to the two concussions and that would have been a good place to stop right there. And he could have he could have even said with I can't take player A I forget the name of the other player start with an Trevion Williams oh it was Trevion Williams okay it was the other guy who was on the list when he was talking about the other players oh he was talking so about Nojel Nojel Eastern was the other transfer out of no 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 it was the guy who was splitting time with he says like, if he even said I can't take this guy off the floor yeah, yeah, tr- yeah, yeah, and Trevion I tried Williams. to play him together yeah okay and it didn't work. And if he just stopped there. But once he starts going into the, yeah, he worked in games and he worked in practice, but there wasn't the other stuff. And now that, and, and the thing is, I think that comes back to bite him now. I think players, potential players, recruits, hear everything. And they don't want to be lit up. And it's a bad look. And they, I think most, not all, because you know, there's always, but I think most of the players right now who you're going to be recruiting, respond to positivity. And the, the whole negativity thing, you can read all kinds of stuff about how stressed out and anxiety-ridden the, the current generation of teenagers is. And if you come in with more negativity on top of that that they don't have to absorb, that, that's not a win. And it, so you got to stop that answer. Hey, we tried to play them both together. I can't take the other kid off the floor. We tried to play them both together and it didn't work. And he had a couple concussions and just stopped there. You got to have an answer for the question. But man, it got it in a pile on territory there. That was stuff that needed to stay between he and an assistant in a quiet room when he was just venting after he got the news. You can't vent on a radio well, show. Well, he got defensive. Yeah. I think. 
Donkage, Donchage, or Dockage, however you say his name, he's, he does, he, he's actually been in trouble a fair amount of times in there in Indianapolis, and he does Correct. commentary and uh, NCAA basketball. Uh, it, the guy got defensive, Painter got defensive because a couple of kids left his program. Well, what they freaking do? I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's unique. I know. You know, we, we can't pile on Christobiak for players leaving his program because he's had a fair amount of pro players leave his program uh, because it's happening everywhere. Now, it's really impacted negatively Utah's program, but I can't pile on Larry because it's not like he's the only one. And, boy, he must be so overbearing and must be so difficult to uh, play for, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I mean, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But nevertheless, there's literally hundreds of kids doing the same thing throughout the country. And so if I'm Purdue, it's just the nature of the world that we live in, particularly with this grad transfer rule that allows these kids to be immediately eligible. He should be saying that, well, you know, Harms, yeah, we're sorry to see him go. But he played by the rules, and he did the number one thing he was supposed to do here, and that is graduate. And Kyle talks about this all the time. The number one reason you're being you're here on my football pro team is to get a degree. Even Jalen Johnson, who knew for years that he had professional ability, still managed to get a degree, and he got it in less than four years. Hats off to him. So Kyle will say that that's the number one reason why you come here is to get a degree this is the sole not the sole purpose but the primary purpose the football obviously is extremely important too but you're supposed to get a degree to get a degree so this kid harms gets his degree so go on jerry sloan used to say this when guys would leave and you're scratch your head why did shandon anderson leave and why did whomever leave uh they, they would go to other places and jerry would always say well they're playing by the rules and that's what they thought was best for them so more power to them. Now, some of these players who left Jerry Sloan's uh, lineup and rotation didn't turn out near as well because Jerry put you in the position to succeed. And so you left and you got your money, but, you know, you weren't nearly as uh, uh, productive. But Jerry would say you play by the rules. Well, Harms, this is a kid playing by the rules, doing what he thinks is best. Now, how many times have we seen kids do things that they think are best, but maybe they're not best, but still – they're going to have to live and learn. Oh, and a lot of times they do things that are, like Toulson coming across from uh, Utah Valley to BYU. You'd have to say that was a smashing success. And Barcelo, you'd have to say that was a smashing success, right? He wasn't getting nearly as much playing time if, in fact, he was getting any at Arizona. All right, well, don't dump on the kid because you need, you're worried about your depth. And you need some depth in case uh, the other hotshot freshmen that were coming in got injured. It turns out they didn't, and so... It was a win-win. It's, it's, it, for, co- for coaches to say this, and I don't know that I've ever really heard this. Ed, maybe we haven't paid attention because the kid wasn't coming to BYU. But I can't recall a kid dumping or a coach dumping on a player leaving yeah. like this, even though he may have felt it. Now, I've had conversations behind closed doors in coaches' office, coaches' offices about uh, them talking about players leaving and how it really got under the skin. But that's exactly where it stayed stayed with me inside the coach's office, and that's it. 
Yes, they get to be human. They get to be frustrated. Even if it's a second-string guy, it's depth, and every coach knows they need depth, and you got to work towards that because you're going to have injuries and you're going to have foul problems. So you better have depth. Guys are going to get sick. They're going to get hurt, and they're going to pick up that third foul in the first half. So you better have the depth. So I get why they're frustrated. I don't, I don't blame them at all. But, uh, man, that, that's going to get used against you in negative recruiting. That's going to that's gonna get spread around. Don't do it. He shouldn't, he shouldn't have done it. Right, yeah. From now on, for me, I'm going to root savagely against Purdue. In fact, for here on out, instead of Purdue, it's going to be Perdon't. You're really not going to pay attention to Purdue going forward unless they're excellent. <laughs> and even then, you'll only pay attention late in the year because there's too many Jazz games and there's too many Aggie, Ute, Cougar, Wildcat. There are just too many games. You can't watch them all. Even you, yep. and you watch, and you watch wrong. a lot. You are wrong. You've underestimated. There is plenty of room in my heart for hate. <laughs> you can loathe as many people as possible. You learned at the feet yes. of the Jedi Master. Ma, come here and teach me how to hate these guys. <laughs> Limited capacity to love, but endless capacity to hate in my heart. Oh, man. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Uh, you know, one other thing, since you bring up Kyle, though, uh, you know, some people hear this and think, and, and you're Jersey guy, so you like the hard edge. And you know, the thing that Kyle has mastered, and he's not the only coach, coaches are getting better at this, and all young coaches should follow the guys who do this, is that you can be the tough guy and set the high bar and be demanding, but you have to be positive when you do it. If you think about it, Kyle and his staff is not just Kyle, right? It's any assistant coach given, you know, whatever area of the country as they break it up. You know, they go in there and they're telling these guys, you're going to work really hard and you're going to have a chance to go to the NFL. And you're going to study real hard and you're going to take a high class load because graduating, you are going to get a degree. You never know who's going to blow out a knee, mess up a shoulder and not be able to play, right? Everybody in football is a snap away. You got to have a degree. But you're not only going to get a degree, you're going to do it in three and a half years because that last semester, you're going to be getting ready for the NFL draft. And I've been coaching here. Kyle can say, you know, I've been coaching here for 20 plus years. I've seen all these guys. They're not, you're not going to school in the spring. So you better plan now. Take summer class classes, whatever you got to do, because you're going to get your degree in December. And think about, I mean, off the top of my head, we know at least three players did that, right? Because Tyler Huntley did, and Moss did, and, uh, and uh, Johnson did, right? That's yes, yeah, at as least far as, uh, three guys who got out of there with the degree in December and were ready to prep for the pros. Whether you get drafted or not. I mean, Huntley didn't. But yes. whether you get drafted or not. And so they're going in there on home visits, and they're telling the parents what they want to hear. Man, this guy's not even going to let him have four years to get the degree. This guy's going to demand it in three and a half. So it's, it's demanding. It sets a high bar. You're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. But it's all positive. You're going to succeed. You're going to get a degree in three and a half years, and then you're going to get ready for the draft. And then every time you crack on them over the three and a half years, it's because you got these high goals for them. So, yeah, you can push them. You just got to push them the right way. 
It's an art form. Okay, yeah. It's an art form. Good, good point. All right, DJ PK, when we come back, Craig Bowlerjack, Joe Ingles at 9. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NCAA announced yesterday it is extended indefinitely the deadline for college basketball players to withdraw from the NBA draft and retain their college eligibility amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Florida's Ron DeSantis becomes the second governor after Arizona's Doug Ducey to announce that his state is open to pro sports teams that want to resume activity. Washington Redskins rookie tight end Thaddeus Moss told reporters he's seeking to forge his own path in football and distance himself from his Hall of Fame father, Randy Moss. And the Division I Coordinating Council Committee extended its recruiting dead period through June 30th for college football programs. This dead period has taken away an evaluation period as well as an official visit window that allows rising senior prospects to take official visits in the spring. Top of the wire brought to you by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home. Zero Res is cleaning carpets right now for just $25 per room. The lowest price is to help out as many people as possible. $25 per room. And it's available while space is available. Call Zero Res today for details and restrictions at 801-288-9376. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kurt Heelan, Pro Basketball Talk and NBCSports.com. All right, we've asked your scale of 1 to 10, so you were a 6 into the first month of lockdown. Where are you at now? 8.5, maybe 9. Like, I can certainly draw up some frightening scenarios that just kind of blow the thing up, but at this point, there is a real motivation among players, among ownership and league staff to find a way to do this. Look, if Adam Silver learned one lesson from David Stern, it's don't make a decision until you have to make a decision. Yeah. Like, gather all the info you can take all the time you can if you're in that spot so if that's why you're hearing now he's not going to make a decision for two to four weeks i'd be surprised at this point if it's not happening you know if there's not probably a bubble in las vegas and a bubble in orlando east and west and then they go from there hanson scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Craig Bullerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Bowler, good morning. Hello, DJ and Mr. PK. Hey. <laughs> you know what? I got to be honest. Hearing that was the doors coming back, right? Love me two times. Yes. Yeah, I just I don't know why that I could just see you in a with a guitar and just up there trying to do a little rock and roll on that song. I don't know why. It just kind of fits your. It fits you. Did you see uh, Val Kilmer in the movie? Thank you. Yeah. 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 That was good. Yeah, I'm waiting to see whenever they release Top Gun Toe Maverick and see what his role is. I, I guess he, there was some, you know, that was that, that movie kind of intrigued me back in the day. How long, was it, 40 years ago, 35 years ago? But now they've been waiting almost two years to release it, so we'll see what happens in the summer if they do bring it out. I like Val Kilmer, by the way, in uh, Tombstone as he, Doc Holliday. He was excellent. It's great, 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 great uh, part for him. I thought it was great. Bowler ESPN ran a list out of the top five NBA players of all time. Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Bill Russell, and Kareem. 
Any obvious mistakes there? Anybody you'd take out and replace with somebody else, or is that good enough? Because uh, this discussion is impossible. It is impossible. It is. It is impossible because no matter what generation you grew up in, you're always going to look back and say, hey, what about Jerry West? I mean, he's the logo, right, of the NBA. Um, you know, there, there are just so many great players that have come and changed the way this game is being played or was played and now is played. But that list, I don't have a lot of argument, you know, with um, Wilt, uh, unbelievable. Was Wilt, yeah, Wilt, uh, Kareem? Uh, Wilt, and Wilt, then it was Russell, Russell and Kareem were the bigs, Jordan, LeBron, yeah. and Magic. So well, Wilt, the one you would think is Wilt Chamberlain, who would uh, probably roll over uh, with his name not in it. But again, Kareem has been very vocal in his own way about his um, – the hierarchy of, of his play in this league and, and what it meant, too, for Biggs and how it changed. I mean, that's always an argument. Wilt was unbelievable in his genre. And uh, now, you know, it's, it's, I love the discussion, but I don't know if there's really an answer to it, and to the discussion, because everybody has a different opinion on where they grew up and who they saw play, because we get to see so much. In the, in the day, there was... You know, television. Come on, there was there was really nothing except highlights that you would, or unless you went to the to the arena to watch. But man, we get such a heavy dose of LeBron, Michael Jordan, uh, Bird, Magic, Malone, Stockton. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough because I don't think a lot of people were ever given an opportunity to watch them play unless you saw them in action live at the arena. See, I think that if you're going to create a list of the 10 best players, I believe that you could have at least legitimately 15, if not 20 players on that list. If I'm going to have my top 10, and DJ read the top five, and the others, five others that could be in the top 10 that ESPN listed, but Jerry West wasn't on it, uh, Dr. J wasn't on it. You take a look the at that, like John Havlicek. I think he gets yeah, a, Oscar Robertson, obviously. Yeah, Havlicek, there was a season he averaged uh, playing like 46 minutes a game. He averaged 28 points and like eight assists and nine boards, something like that. I mean, the, those are phenomenal numbers, on, and, and you're playing all those minutes on a basketball team. And I think you got to put our guys, the two statues in there. If you're going to list – if you're just going to – put as many people as you think are deserving to be on that list. I think the list, if you come up with the top ten, I think the list of players who are deserving is double. Agree. It'd be 1A, 1, 1A, 2, 2B, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, look, Stockton Malone, outside Utah, people will sometimes roll their eyes at us, but you know what? This, the numbers don't lie. Number two all-time leading scorer, two-time MVP, and you've got John Stockton, who again continues to be, you know, regaled as you know the dirtiest player uh, in the NBA ever, which is amazing after watching the Last Dance and seeing the physicality of what the Chicago Bulls took from the Detroit Pistons from the Bad Boys. But all-time leader in assists and steals, two records. That I just don't see happening to be to, to happen to be broken. I really don't. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know the I know the cliche records are meant to be broken, but some just stay there. And Stockton's numbers are outrageous. Uh, his productive ability on a given night was just so consistent, PK, that uh, 
I think people really have to stand back and, and look at Stock and Malone because they were such a great tandem, maybe one of the best. Um, and I know that people argue them, you know, the magic and Stockton debate, but the guy was six one and the guy was 180 pounds, and now he's feared as the most uh, dirty, the dirtiest player in the league. Really, kind of amuses me at times, to be honest. But he just played hard. He had that, uh, he had that approach, much like Jordan much like LeBron, of that assassination role, uh, being an assassin, of going out and taking no prisoners. And that's what made him great. He didn't care about the cameras. You let Malone do that, as we all know. Malone loved the camera, and Stockton just hit. And he did his thing for years and did it very well. So I'm curious, because Stockton did not want to be involved in a puff piece, so that means he needs a chance to say something negative. And I'm thinking, right. what is he going to say about Jordan that is negative? Because if he just wanted to praise him and how difficult he was to play against him, well, then you're getting into puff piece territory. So I'm trying to figure out what it is I should expect out of Stockton on Sunday night, and I'm not clear. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, you know, when you say puff piece, my first thought was he, he was a definite no. And then he softened on the stance, must have been given some parameters of how far he could go. But then I also thought to myself, Stockton was never really one to give much of an opinion of anything. You know, you remember the interviews. You know, hey, hey John, uh, what did, yeah, you know, I remember he had a bad elbow one time and he promised he'd talk about it uh, to me after the game. And so I said, John, okay, what about the elbow? Oh, it's fine. I'm like, good grief. You know, I mean, that was such a Stockton line. Um, there was nothing wrong. Everything was going to be okay. Uh, he never, you know, ever took a part that I can't remember a teammate. And, you know, had no issue with Larry. You know, they negotiated contracts with pieces of paper right across the desk from each other. That's folklore, but I, I, it's from all indications I know it's true. Write a number down. Wrote a number, slid it by. Larry wrote one, boom, done. I mean, that's how simple the guy was in, this, in the way of dealing with the media and ownership. So it'll be interesting, man. I, I tell you, these last two hours have got to be focused on, obviously, B. Russ. I don't know if B. Russ is talking about the, the push-off. Um, and Stockton's, Stockton's uh, interview will really intrigue me to see where he's going with it. Do you think Jordan was able to get away f- with the stuff that he got away with in terms of treating his teammates? Because I can make an argument that the gap between the best player on the team and the second best player was for a team that won a title was never greater than what you had between Jordan and the Bulls. You know, this is intriguing, uh, PK, because I've learned a lot I mean, the insight of, of what he's been able to say, and I just read yesterday or to this morning, Pippen's upset with the portrayal of, of, of himself. But, you know, he brought it on himself by riding the pine in game three um, in the playoff series when Jordan was out playing basketball, and that was his opportunity to be the guy in Chicago, which I think he, he obviously wanted desperately, and the respect and the contracts uh, that would go with a superstar. He was, you know, he was his second-hand man. He was his little buddy, you know, as everybody would say. And, uh, but, you know, as I watch it, Jordan was as aggressive in your face as I, I could imagine. I guess I go back to my, 
uh, attendance at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony and just the brutality at times of his acceptance speech, calling out players, calling out the guy that beat him in ninth grade on the junior varsity roster and made him stand up in the crowd. I mean, it was it was like, what? This ought to be a moment of praise, thanks, and, and but it wasn't. It still was like, for him, some statement he had to make. And I thought it was like way out there. I was really surprised by it, and I think a lot of people were. Um, but you you find him trying, at least in his explanation, is to make everyone around him better. But leadership has two different ways of going about it. You can encourage them. Like Pick, Pippen was shown as putting an arm around a guy and saying, hey, man, pick your ass up, let's go. Um, but Jordan would berate you from all indications. I mean, B.J. Armstrong gave, you know, and Will Perdue, Cartwright, those guys, there's always some sort of a issue that was underlying in practice, and he would uh, try to tear you down. But his, his theory was if I tear them down, I build them up and to try to bring them to, to his level. And, P.K., your point's well taken. Look, his level was unachievable because he was Jordan, right? So I think there had to be tons of frustration. And you're right, he willed that team to multiple championships. And we saw it personally with the Jazz in 97 and 98. It was a Jordan show in the end because he wanted it. And uh, the teammates followed. How do you think the Jazz will be portrayed in this? Because, you know, for Jazz fans, this is just ripping the scab off the wound, yeah, right? And pouring yeah. salt in it. And I've watched how the other four teams have been portrayed, and there's no way other to portray them than, you know, as a team that wasn't good enough and lost to Jordan. Um, I think that probably will be the end game in this story, uh, that they had built together a great team, one of the most dynamic combinations in basketball. Jerry Sloan is the head coach. There has to be some story, too, of Jerry in this because of his relationship once coaching the Bulls and then being a Bull and having his jersey uh, hung in the rafters as the original Bull. So there has to be some storyline there about the toughness of this team and how it reflects in Jerry Sloan's personality. And, PK, we all respect Jerry Sloan and the toughness he brought to the floor as a player and, and as a coach and the expectations every night. It wasn't about analytics. It wasn't about stats. As he always told us, it's about heart. And I think this team had heart. And I think they'll, I hope they review the controversial calls, the Isley uh, controversy, the push-off. Of course, Jordan came up with the steal. And what was an eight or nine, ten-point lead evaporated quickly. Uh, Malone's incredible game in Chicago to bring it back to Salt Lake for game six. I hope they look at that as well. I hope they look at this team as a fighting team, as a, as a team that uh, was really near perfection. But again, I think in the end, DJ, as you just said, uh, all the teams have been portrayed as being incredibly talented, but just not able to stop Michael Jordan. And I think the Jazz fans Jazz fans understand that. Did he get a little help from Dick Bavetta? Uh, I look back at highlights all the time of that game. And you know what? I see what everybody else sees, but someone else saw it the other way. And is that how Jordan rules? Maybe. You know, we have this issue in our in, in pro sports today. You know, I mean, it's always the gripe of fans of, you know, special treatment to, to, to all-stars or the superstars. And maybe really no difference than it was in 97 and 98. See, I think the most intriguing aspect here is Jordan, in order to win multiples, so not the first one, 
but the ones after that, he came up with concocted motivations. The Phoenix Suns, oh, Jerry Krause like Dan Marley, so uh-huh. we're going to get real jacked to play Dan, Dan Marley. Dan Marley's a nice player, don't get me wrong, but the fact that you created an animosity with Dan Marley, I mean, it's ridiculous. You created an animosity with George Carl because he walked past you in a restaurant. You created right. an animosity because <laughs> Gary Payton said that he could guard Jordan. So there was all these concocted motivations that he used. Beyond the first one, the first one you want to win, and you know it didn't matter who was against it. So happened it was against the Lakers, and you know you got it great. But the subsequent ones is like he created some fake motivation to get himself over the hump. So what's it going to be? Because I think that in order to win that sixth one, and and actually I think that as I'm rambling a little bit, that's where I think Jerry Krause was genius by saying, we're done. We're done with you guys. That created the motivation for the sixth title. I believe the Jazz win the series if Krause says, oh, sure, everyone's going to come back. But the mm-hmm. fact that he said, you're not coming back, that got them so fired up. You, you know what? We're going to go out and show you. And so maybe that was the motivation. It wasn't against anybody for the Jazz, but it was, oh, Jerry, we got to show Jerry Krause. And so by Krause doing that, gave Jordan, he knew how to push Jordan's buttons in a oh, manner that maybe oh, only time. Phil Jackson did. Because I think that helped them get that last that thing because they wanted to prove Krause wrong so bad. That was his motivation. Yeah, no, PK, no argument there. I think Krauss throughout this entire docu-series is, is the evil empire when it comes to motivating and, and Jordan being able to say, look, man, I'll do what I want. I mean, the little office that he had privately with his own security guards and, you know, flipping corner quarters uh, to win money and he wanted to own you. When we'll produce it, why do you want to come up here and play dollar blackjack because I want to own your money? I mean, it was all about finding ways to continue – to build some sort of competitive nature in him. Was he bored? I kind of sometimes, he hinted sometimes that he, that he was. What else was there to achieve? And what's amazing to me in this story is after the three titles, his father's death, and then the baseball that he, he, he tried with Chicago, and then to come back and actually three-peat again is beyond imagination of how you could restart the energy, and as you just said, the focus mentally uh, to do it three more times. Uh, that to me is, is I don't know, you talk about, okay, to replicate, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, has he had an easy life financially? Yes, but I think he's been tortured many, many hours of his day uh, just because of who he is and the way that he, um, he, he approaches life. Um, Competitiveness, I think, is is great, but to what level? But he took it to a level I don't think we've we've ever seen, and maybe we'll never see again. LeBron, people talk about LeBron, but I'd say after watching this again and reliving in my head, covering the Jazz and those two uh, NBA title runs, and having a chance to talk to Jordan in those press conferences and in in those corrals, and having him look in the eye and just kind of stare through your soul, you could tell he owned a lot of people. He owned the media. He was brilliant with that. And it all comes into play in this equation of his greatness. And I'm, like you said, P, uh, DJ, I'm excited to see how they portray the Jazz and how they portray them as fighters 
And I, and I would think that they, there ought to be a lot of respect because they fought this team uh, hard. And Malone and Stockton did what they could, and Hornacek and the coaching of Jerry Sloan. And, I, you know, one of those two title runs, one of, a, one of them should have been in the Jazz back pocket. It just didn't work out, sadly. Bowler, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and we will all watch Sunday night, and then we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Joe's up next, right, Coffee Man? Joe is coming up in a few minutes. Yes, indeed. I'll be listening. I'm going to know if he's going back to practice, what, what his thoughts are. So that's a whole other discussion where we are, I hope, but who knows. The players, by the way, PK, I'm wondering, who, who, who has the last say in this? You think the players will dictate whether or not we the uh, the NBA goes or not? Yeah, I think that, that they'd have a significant role, certainly. And I guess if you're going to have the last voice, uh, yeah, I can see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to hear his Joe take. All right, guys, I'll roll out. See you next week. Thanks, Bowler. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Speaking of players having the last say, uh, I think a lot of us assume that they're going to play because they want their money, and we've heard players say that, but there's one player who doesn't want the money, and we'll tell you about that next. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. ESPN with a story this morning. The Tampa Bay Rays ace Blake Snell says he will not play this season for a reduced salary, especially because the risk of contracting the coronavirus is, quote, just not worth it. Uh, he goes on to talk about the multiple pay cuts, the taxes. He also talks about risking his life. And he also talks about being worried about even if he survives coronavirus, the long-term damage to the body. So he's a former Cy Young Award winner, uh, won 21 games and had an ERA under two in the uh, 2018 season. Uh didn't really uh, have anything close to that in 2019. Still 27 years old in the second year of a five-year $50 million deal, which is his first big money deal. So he's made some money, PK, but this is the first player we've come out and heard, really heard say, definitely not, not doing it. Hey, this is a bad, bad, bad look. And I know you're on the side of uh, safety and caution as much as possible. The reason why I say it's a bad look is I don't think you read all of the quotes. Uh, all the quotes get you two, understand, two into man, the money. Bro. They get two into the money. He should have just right. stuck to the health. Yes. If he stuck to the health, yes. Yes. then I think we could all look yes. and say health and safety. But he's willing to yes. wager the health and safety if he gets 100% of his salary. I can take the time and read it. It's a short yes. segment here with Joe coming up. Uh, here it is. I'll read it here. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It should 100% be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting the money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half. On top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there, on top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm really making a play. You know what I'm saying? Too much about the money. If you're scared about the health, 
I think on some level we all get that. Some Fine. people will obviously put more yes. weight on that than others. And if you want to walk away from the money, I think largely we'll all be like, really? You'll walk away from that money, huh? Because I, I think a lot of people won't. I think a lot of people will take the risk well, and go get the money. But to say that it's um, to spend that much time on the health and then say, yeah, but you know, for $7 million, I'd do it. I don't know. That, that kind of undermines the health angle. It does 100%. And the world we're living in, people are suffering financially, man. People are getting fired. People are taking massive pay cuts and changing lifestyles, if not ruining lives because of this. And you're out there looking greedy and money hungry. Yeah, give me a raise, and sure, I'll have no problem playing. It comes off as bad, man. Baseball, they need to get to their guys and say, shut up about the money. If you have safety issues, go to the top of the mountain and scream them as loud as you want. Right. Fine. That's your call. But once you introduce money, it comes off as bad, man. Yep. They need to get their guys in order and tell them to shut up about the money. If you've got safety problems, fine. That's your call. No, I'm not going to argue with him if he doesn't want to play because he believes it's for safety reasons and he whatever. And he has interaction with his parents who are older and who knows what right. once you do safety. But, but the whole deal about the money, when I read that this morning, I thought, oh, my gosh, he needs to shut up about the money. <laughs> Uh, 100% I'm on board. And you're right. I, I really am into the safety of all of this. And I don't discount at all what you just said. People are losing homes. People who are renting are living out of cars. I mean, th- this is happening over and over. Uh, kids are being traumatized by this. Uh, people are losing relatives. People are losing friends. And even if you're healthy, you may not want to go through it. I saw a video. There's an NBC doctor who's been on TV advising people what to do. But he was on a flight to New Orleans. And three days later, he came down sick. And they had video of him in the hospital. And he's in his 40s and healthy. And he ought to survive it. But he looks miserable. So if all of that weighs on you. And if you've got somebody in your life who's at risk because they've, you know, had asthma or diabetes or whatever. And so even if you're healthy, you're worried about them. That's all fine. But uh, I do it for $7 million, but I don't want to do it for half of that and then losing a third of that and then a tax. Just don't do it for the health reasons. And again, it's too much to explain. It's like the, it's like the uh, Purdue basketball coach. I was with him for the first two thoughts, and then he went over the edge. And here, I get it at the start. What, uh, what Blake Snell is saying, but then once he just starts breaking down all the money, you're like, well, then it's not really about the safety. It's about the money. All right, DJ right. and PK, when we come back, Joe Ingalls, his wife on social media, announcing they're expecting another, uh, another kid. We'll talk with him about that coming up. Stay with us.